And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And uh, today will be an actual test of our theory of an hour or less to go over the biggest news in college football. We'll see how that goes with uh, the major news that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the Big 12 at some point here, um, anticipated to go to the SEC. I'm joined by my colleague at The Athletic, Chris Vanini, and our friend and colleague over at Stadium, Michael Felder. Hello, team. I'm very excited for this three-person pod. Yeah, nothing going on or anything in the world of college. Nothing. I mean, honestly, nothing has actually happened. (laughs) Yes, but it will. It will. And everyone loves loves hypotheticals. Um, But no, on on Monday, Oklahoma and Texas did send a formal letter to the Big 12 to say that they will not renew they're granting rights in 2025. So we don't know how soon this is all going to take effect, but we know that it's happening. And I'm curious to both of you, but I guess we'll start with Chris, what your initial reaction was. Because this was news that really stunned all of college sports, stunned people within the Big 12. People did not know that Oklahoma and Texas had been talking to the SEC. What was your initial knee-jerk reaction, Chris? My reaction was I'm not surprised they're doing this. I'm surprised they're doing this now because we knew all the TV deals were going to come up in a couple of years, 2024, 25. And we thought that could lead to some realignment. But for Texas and Oklahoma to announce this four years early, uh, that's where it really became a surprise because I don't think anybody was expecting it to happen this quickly. Even Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, said like a week prior that he wasn't being kept up at night on the thought of expansion and realignment and – Maybe he should have been. Yeah, I um, for me, it really felt like we need some juice. And so SEC media days are going on and media days have um, they're not the frenzy from a television media, like, you know, social media standpoint that they have been, because I think schools have gotten better at saying nothing when they go to them. And now you got juice. And so it was kind of juice for obviously Oklahoma and Texas, but also for the SEC. And they did it, oh, as Jimbo's going to the podium. Yes. Right before you had Texas A&M all queued up and ready to go with their one-liners in this broke via Texas A&M reporter. So very interesting Timing all along. I mean, I keep, I was stunned. I mean, this was something that was not on my radar, was not on a lot of people, a lot of people's radars across the sport. I mean, you were getting messages from people. Chris, I'm sure you had the same experience. People were sending texts from all other leagues being like, what are you hearing? Calling you, being like, what are you hearing? What's, what's, what's going to happen? You know, could this team go 
to this conference or whatever it might be. I mean, it was it was a really chaotic first 48 hours. And I think people are starting to settle in to the reality here. But well, the first thing I do is look back on, on things that were said. I mean, Chris, you mentioned Bob Bullsby's comments six days before the story broke about how realignment was on the back burner. It wasn't something that was pressing. I think back to playoff expansion. I keep, I keep thinking about this because SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey and Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bullsby are on this four-person working group trying, theoretically, to come up with what's best for college football. And obviously, the SEC is aware of the conversations with Oklahoma and Texas. I don't think Oklahoma and Texas jumped to the SEC without knowing it's going to be a 12-team playoff. I don't think the SEC is as... I mean, I'm sure the SEC is the same either way about adding the brands of Oklahoma and Texas. But, I mean, it's crazy to think back about all the things that were said. I mean, Bullsby went out of his way to compliment Sankey for supporting this and for saying this isn't something SEC needs to do, but he's thinking about what's best for college football. I don't think this is what's best for college football now, but, you know, we'll see. But it's it's crazy to think back about all the things that were said in the last six months, knowing that this was pretty far along by the time it broke publicly. And, and Bowlesby's comment at Big 12 Media Days about realignment being on the back burner, he brought that up himself. At the end of his press conference, he thanked the reporters for not asking about expansion because he's normally always asked about it. So he ends his press conference by bringing it up himself. And yeah, it was a, a, essentially a secret within a secret. While the secret playoff talks are going on, I guess Greg Tanky's keeping a secret from Bob Bowlesby and just, man, it is really, it just really highlights that uh, this is a ruthless business when it comes down to it. Yeah, I think the, the ruthlessness of it is, is important to highlight because it's not just that they're leaving or that the, the SEC is kind of like working to steal. It's also in the larger, in the grand scheme of things, because you, you mentioned they think this is better for college football. It's looking like they're going to trim some of the fat somewhat in terms of what constitutes being a power five. So what we're looking at ultimately, and I know we're going to talk a little more big picture, but what we're looking at is going from five to what, four, three conferences. And there's going to be somebody that there's people that have been left out in the cold. Our back, you and I texted about this. Like if you're Baylor, if you're, West Virginia, you're like, what's going to happen to us? Because we could be casualties of this of, of this massive power play. And then to put it in the context of the 12-team playoff, we're, what, three, four weeks removed from everybody talking about how egalitarian a 12-team playoff will make things. And it's going to give more people more chances. And what we're seeing, and maybe this is what Bowlesby means, even if it's bad for his conference, what he what he what what he might mean is, hey, we're going to a twelve team playoff. If we have three conferences, each conference will get four teams in, or we have four conferences and each conference gets three teams in, then we don't have to worry about anything because we're securing our own futures. Well, I think the SEC plans on getting more than three or four teams in, and right, right, and and I think that you know that is part of it. It's it's being able to control your own destiny, which I know is a phrase that doesn't make that much sense. But, you know, just the the ability to um, to chart your own path, you know, in an era where the NCAA is taking a back seat, is not leading on things. 
the SEC is grabbing that power. You're also in a power vacuum where you have three very new commissioners and other power five leagues that will now need to react or not react to this news um, and and see and try to figure out what the SEC's endgame is here. Felder, I think you, you brought up an interesting point about some of the teams that are now stuck in the middle here. Um, yeah. and, and I wonder if anyone else that will be in a position to poach, a position to be an aggressor, do they want those eight leftover teams for the Big 12? Are there any to, that jump out to you, Felder, as as providing value enough to the Big 10 or the ACC or the Pac-12 for them to pursue? Because we're trying to figure out if those eight teams are going to end up staying together as a conference or are they going to have individual schools acting in their both in their own self-interest to try to get added somewhere else. So are people going to be interested in the first place? I, I don't know. And I, it's, it's, I talked to Roddy Jones from HCC Network last night, and he was he laid it out pretty cold and bare in terms of you have to provide the amount of money that it would take for you to fit into a television contract. And so who is bringing the money? Who brings the money? And it was like maybe Oklahoma State, and maybe, like, that's what it is. Like, the reality of it is, who brings the money? Most of these teams don't bring the money. And so that's going to be the part that's going to make it interesting about who becomes buyers. Does Kansas State bring the money? Does Texas Tech bring the money? Does, do they bring money? And I also think, and I, I think we'd be remiss if we did not mention that there's also a, a culture, uh, both from a, religious and also academic state um standpoint that is still a variable when it comes to the Pac-12 or the Big 10 uh even the ACC to some extent and I guess while we talk about bringing the money which I think is the bottom line the other part of it is going to be is who's going to want you to be in and that's an interesting part of it because while fans may like Virginia Tech fans might want West Virginia to be in there to play them, and Pitt fans obviously would want West Virginia to be in the ACC so they could have the backyard brawl back. There's also the reality is fans aren't always going to get what they want, and the way that the school admin and the school like the way that they think is a lot different than the way that fans think. So, who is vouching? Is there somebody in the in the Pac-12 that's like, yes, we need to get TCU? Or, because we know there's people in the Pac-12 that are like, no, we don't want Baylor. So, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, it comes down to, do you increase the slice of the pie in the conference? The reason the Big 12 didn't expand back in 2016 is because ESPN told them, hey, none of these group of five schools are going to increase your per school payout. So, while Oklahoma State might be more valuable than a, than a Rutgers or an Oregon State, you can't boot those teams out and replace them with them. And so you're, it's, it's basically a game of musical chairs, and now the Big 12 leftovers are stuck with the music stop needing to figure out what they need to do. And it's really just unfortunate timing, unfortunate location, and bad luck with history since that's a region that has seen all kinds of realignment over 30 years. Yeah. And, and again, think about the, the dollar figures you got to be talking about, like $50 million per year. Like you got to be thinking about what you can add. And it's got to be big numbers because that's how big some of these payouts are in the Big Ten and, and some of these power conferences. So if you if you start to think about it from a value add standpoint and not just bodies, 
Um, unless, again, unless you want to get to 16 or 20 or whatever you're trying to hit as a, a size of a conference. Um, if you're looking at value, you know, like the Big Ten, the schools that they would really want are Notre Dame and ACC schools and Pac-12 schools. Like a lot of those leagues, the best fits and the schools that would add value are already in other Power Five leagues. And maybe we get to that point in realignment where they're trying to poach each other from, you know, the ACC to the Big Ten or the, the Big Ten to the ACC. But that's where it's hard. Like, Felder, you brought up West Virginia and and I think West Virginia's preferred landing spot, you know, at least according to people who talked to the Athletic over the weekend, is the ACC. It makes total sense. They wanted to go there 10 years ago. They've upped their academics. They've upped their resources, the rivalries that they would get back from the Big East. But do they add enough value on their own to the ACC? Is the ACC going to add if they can get if they can't get Notre Dame, right? Like the, th- that's where the conversation ends. And, you know, we're going to get into this a little bit later about recruiting Texas because it's obviously such a fertile recruiting ground. The only, the, the question I would have, I guess, is, is it worth getting into Texas? Because, you know, you could go for, um, you know, maybe TCU, get into the Dallas, Fort Worth area, and you have a footprint in Texas. Is that important to the Pac-12? Do they end up going for Baylor or in Oklahoma State? Do they do they want a wing? Do they want a few more teams? Um, I don't know. I mean, basically, in the last week, the Pac-12 just improved its standing. It's now not the fifth Power Five league. It, it would be fourth of five or fourth of four. So I don't know if they need to do that. And, and Chris, I'm curious your thoughts about the American, because that was another thing that, you know, talking to people over the weekend, the American as a conference wants to be an aggressor. They feel like they are stable. They feel like they just got, you know, a better media deal. And maybe these big 12 leftovers are going to see their own media deal just basically disintegrate without Texas and Oklahoma. Maybe they would have an opportunity. But then, of course, those leftover eight are going to try to get Cincinnati and UCF and talk to them. Like, Who's going to be trying to poach who with those teams? It's not up to the American because first you got to figure out what's happening with the Big 12 because I can guarantee you that every team in the American would jump at joining the Big 12 if the opportunity was there. So the first thing that needs to get figured out is are those eight going to be able to stay together? Because if one of them, if two of them get picked off by another Power 5 league, that's when you can see things start to dissolve but if they have nowhere to go they're going to stay together and if they stay together they're not going to get poached by the american because the big 12 is going to have more money now maybe not a ton more money in terms of tv but your cincinnati's your ucf's your houston's they're going to want to go there rather than trying to bring it back and that that's where it's i had an ad say it to me yesterday he he was he said it's like you go to the prom with a girl and then you see another girl and say, I wish I'd come with her. You can't say that. Everybody knows it, but you can't say it. Every group of five team wants to join the Big 12 leftovers. Every non-American group of five team, other than maybe Boise, wants to join the American. Everybody wants to move up, but you can't say it. And so no one's going to say that. But the American wants to poach the Big 12, but it's not really up to them at this point. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's switch gears into the macro sense about what this what this means for college football, college sports as a whole. Because I think when we were talking about how do people view what Greg Sankey did over the last few months and the dynamics about how ruthless this is, I think a lot of the sentiment I've been hearing from people outside of these leagues is about the rest of the sport and and just, you know, the SEC consolidating power in the Southeast and what that means for everybody else, for balance, for all of the things that we love about college football. So, Chris, you basically distill that into, into a great column. And I know that it rang true to a lot of people in college sports this weekend, but um, I'm wondering if you can just kind of rehash why this bothers you so much the way that this round of realignment is is shaping up. Yeah, I hate all this, by the way. We haven't actually, we've been doing this for about 20 minutes. I haven't even said this yet. I hate this conference realignment. <laughs> not not just this one, but over the last 10 years. And, and what this really, the Texas-Oklahoma move basically cements the path that we're going on now, which is to three or four conferences, which is to a Super League at some point. And I, I don't like that because... There, there's a lot of college football that's not about the top 25 teams. There's a lot about college football that's not about who wins a national championship or who makes the most money. And it's sad to see that going away. Again, not just because of Texas, Oklahoma, but just because of what's happened over the last 10 years, even more. I mean, I live in Texas, and it's been 25 years since the Southwest Conference dissolved. And... People around here still talk so fondly of those days. Mm-hmm. Yes, everybody in conference cheated. Yes, by the end, it was really Texas kind of, kind of dominating everything, and A&M, I think, too. But everybody in Texas had a dog in the same fight. You went to co- you had coworkers who went to TCU or Baylor or Tech or Rice or Houston or SMU. State politicians, same deal. There were all these just inter-regional rivalries, and college football has really gone away from that over the last really 10 years, but longer than that. And I think about, like, West Virginia and Pitt not playing anymore. West Virginia being a 1,000 miles from everywhere, everybody else in its conference. And West Virginia had to do that because they had to jump off the Big East. But we've, we're left with a landscape, and we're clearly now speeding toward a landscape where everything is national and you don't necessarily live around people you compete with anymore. You can't drive to road games anymore. And I think in the long term, I think this really kind of sucks for fans. And that's that's why I wrote what I did and got a lot of feedback from a lot of fans who said they felt the same way. Yeah, I um, I I hate it because I have to keep talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> like we all we all do radio and do all this stuff, and it's you're gonna you, you get asked the same question what thirty five. 35 times in a week when you're doing yeah, your spots. Yes. It's like, oh my gosh, come on. But no, the, the, the thing for me, and, and 
you you mentioned the fans. I am. It's I I, th- I think people know this. Not huge fans guy. I <laughs> but I like foot. So the the thing for me is it shouldn't change how you feel about football if you like football. The problem is most of the time people don't like football. They like all this outside stuff, and you mentioned it. It's the rivalry. So that's the part that is going to take a step back. I'm still going to watch. I don't care where West Virginia ends up. I'm going to watch them play football because I like football. And I think that you hit something really important on the head there, Chris, is this national approach. College football is a regional sport. Has always been – listen, you can – you can dress it up and try to pretend and masquerade like it's this national big, like it's the NFL, but it's not. And so those are always going to be steps back in terms of, or not steps back. It's always going to be something that's forced into a national lens that is dealt with on a regional level. And we know that from the way conferences interact, the way that athletic, direct, like college football, like the NFL is one big league. Right. They're not it's not even that they have 32 different institutions. It's one huge league with one governing body. College football is a sport that has a ton of tiny kingdoms, and those kingdoms are the schools. And then those schools all kind of create one small empire that is the conference. And then the NCAA tries to control it and we know that they don't and they can't and they're starting to pull back from that. And so it's just, it's it's so discombobulating, I think is the word, for for people because they want to view it through a national lens, but because they make national money, because it's on national television, because you have national TV deals. But the reality is when you and this is something I'm sure we've all done, when you look at who's watching college football and you look at that map, you can cut it up pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And this is, I don't know that this, excuse me, I don't know that this changes how you, how the viewership map is cut up. I don't know that it changes how you bring in other markets. We, goodness gracious, I've, now I'm having flashbacks to what, like 2011, 2012, yeah. <laughs> where all we were doing was talking about DMAs and, and, and <laughs> looking at, at how, who brings viewers. And that's how Rutgers in Maryland in, end up in the Big Ten because of their DMA. And I don't know. It just, for me, it's, I'm still going to watch the football. I think that what we're, I, I think the interesting, I think not the interesting part. I think the part where everyone, there, there's going to be, I think more people unhappy than happy from a fan perspective and I think, and we've said this before, when we did for better or for worse hour back, I think we're poised to see more teams get worse than we are to see teams get better. And that's the part that I don't like because it's going to be harder to be upwardly mobile. It's going to be harder to get better. And I know that we, you did the Texas Recruiting Confidential. I am, and I guess I'll, I'll lead us into this if that's okay with you guys. I think that this Oklahoma-Texas thing is a gigantic mistake for anything but money. I think it's a massive mistake for them because in their theories, we're going to make more money 
But what you're going to do is you're going to give Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, you're going to give the, all these other teams a bigger gateway into Texas from a recruiting standpoint. And we already know that those Texas coaches, they love Nick Saban. You're going to open the door like you're leaving the gate open. Before it was every other year we play at AM and you get to go back home. Now it's every other year or ev- now it's every year we go to Texas. Every year we get to recruit Texas on that Friday before our games. Every year we get to go there. I, like it's just, <laughs> I, I think this is, I think it's a human. I think it's, it's like the way that the door opened on Florida. And once the door's open, you cannot shut it. I think it is making life a lot more difficult for a lot more people. It's making life more difficult for Texas, okay? We talk about things that we like about college football. We talk about, you know, what success is, what traditions are. People don't like losing. People don't like missing bowl games. They don't like going to bad bowl games. Like, they don't there, – there's certain markers of success – that are now going to be harder to reach. And this is something about when the SEC would say, you know, we're going to stay at eight conference games, not go to nine. It's about trying to define success and having successful seasons for your, your, your teams. But if you're in the middle to the bottom of the SEC right now, it's not the most enjoyable experience. You lose a lot of games. You get beaten badly. And you're still a good team. You still have good players on your roster. And now you're adding Texas and Oklahoma to that. Texas just made it harder to get to the playoff for itself. Texas just made it harder to have a successful season for itself. And for like half of the SEC, because now Oklahoma is going to immediately, you know, be a problem to deal with. So not just from a recruiting standpoint, but the actual on-field games regular season standpoint, Fan bases, we already go through this phase where everyone gets disillusioned with their head coaches faster than ever, hot seats. Just, again, what is success? In the playoff era, it's been very hard for people to be even happy with, you know, a Sugar Bowl appearance, right? Like, if you're not making the playoff, it's a failure. Ten wins does not guarantee that your fan base is going to be happy with the season, right? Like, the the level of the, the markers for success have changed, and I think this just made it a lot harder for that lower tier of the SEC, for the middle tier that's trying to get to the upper tier. All of that just became harder by adding Oklahoma and then theoretically if Texas ever gets back. And I I think that is an underrated part of this too because when you think about it logically, why would Texas and Oklahoma want to go from being the big fish in a smaller pond to now being one and two of 16 in a league that is going to make it harder and you're going to deal with more losses? Like, you know, that's part of the question about, like, why this is a head-scratcher. Yeah, it, it's... Oklahoma's already a perennial top-five team and a top-five recruiting team. And when we did that recruiting confidential with Texas, Sam Kahn and I, and we asked, hey, who out of state does a really good job recruiting you guys? And a lot of them said Oklahoma. And now they're going to be competing even more with all these other teams. Alabama was another one. So now you're going to be dealing with Alabama uh, on, a, on a much higher basis. Uh, if you're in the SEC already, bringing these schools in is also something I don't quite get. Your old misses, your Mississippi states, who will never be able to win an SEC championship at this point because you're just knocking yourself down another tier. And, it, it, and it's all for money. 
and I don't get it. Now, one thing, I forgot who brought this up. I don't remember exactly who it was. But last year, we had no six-win requirement for bowl games. You didn't have to be 500. And as a result, you had like a 3-9 and nine Mississippi State team get in and beat Tulsa. And I don't remember which reporter brought this up. But they said, with those changing power dynamics, does the SEC eventually get rid of, use its power to get rid of that six, that 500 requirement? They would much rather have a 5-7 and seven Kentucky team in their bowl game than an 8-4 and four Western, Western Kentucky team. So when you talk about success in, in postseason, I think in the end, this all comes down to money and it all comes down to power and the ways you want to wield that power and reshape the sport, which again, I think overall is bad for the long-term health of everybody, but that's clearly what the move is. So Chris, you, you mentioned this, um, you just did a really interesting piece in The Athletic right before conference realignment broke about Texas recruiting. Uh, you and Sam Khan talked to a bunch of different high school coaches, I think 20, is that right? 20? Yep, 20, 20, 20 different high school coaches in Texas and ask them what they really feel about recruiting and about the, the, the powers in the state. Some of that's going to shift because I, I, I do feel like a lot of it when the people were talking about A&M and Jimbo was about the SEC, recruiting to the SEC. But what can we take away from what they were saying about Texas, as we now know, and, and as you mentioned, Oklahoma, as we now know, they're going to be jumping conferences. Well, coaches were not big fans of Tom Herman, and it's pretty easy to say that now that he's been fired. Uh, but they thought he was arrogant. They thought the staff was arrogant. I think if you kind of watched Tom Herman do anything at Texas, that vibe kind of came across as well. And uh, the reactions to Sark so far are mixed but pretty positive. Some, some people, you know, one coach said Sark called him the day of the national championship game. Uh, you know, you know, they, they said they, he's been pretty responsive. They hired, um, Chris Gilbert, who's kind of got all the high school connections who will get them into every school and everybody knows him. So they are leaning heavily into recruiting the state of Texas, which is not something A&M does. They have been more national. And so now Sark coming in, they are focusing heavily on that state. Yeah, it's, um... Love, love the read. If you folks, if you haven't read it, check it out. Um, I, I, my, one of my biggest takeaways, one, the Herman stuff, which was the vibe, as you mentioned, it was kind of the vibe that you got anyways, just from look from the outside looking in and having that confirmed was like, oh, that's why it's not working. Uh, the other part is going to, the other part was uh, Nick Saban and them referencing that Nick Saban is pretty, um, he's a popular guy there. And I look at when Nick Saban left SEC Media Days and went straight to Texas and was and was talking at a conference in Texas. And I was like, oh, this is like, it's literally from the article to what actually is happening. It all just happened as like a one-to-one. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting uh, going forward. Like, I, I just am very, if I, so much of college football for the most part, and this is kind of the lens that I view things from, so you guys get to, window into my mind palace so much of college football is viewed on not wanting the other guy to get ahead of you there's a paranoia that governs this sport oh yeah and i i feel like sometimes money can blind that paranoia 
which is what I think we have here with Oklahoma and Texas looking to leave. And, or not looking to leave, leaving. Just not sure when, but leaving. And I'm just, I'm very curious what that, what, what your article will, will look like in seven years or eight years in terms of like another one of those articles because I mean, listen, you, if you, I, and I truly believe this, if you, you give Sam Pittman more time in Texas, he's going to, people are going to like him. Yes, sir. People are going to like him and that's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for TCU and it's not going to be good. And I guess, I think Oklahoma and Texas are going to continue to recruit at a high level, but the reality is these other schools, that's who's going to probably be hurt more than anything. Right. And the question I did have for both of you guys, because you mentioned you brought up Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Do you think they have any say in this? I don't think they do. I think they are happy to be along for the ride. I think South Carolina released a statement last night saying um, that they're opening to this. It's like, this isn't your call. <laughs> and and, and I, I, I don't think it's a Good idea for them for the reasons I said. It knocks them down a tier. I think it, you know, we've seen Texas stab two conferences in the back, the Southwest Conference and Big 12. They'll do the exact same to those lower SEC teams if a Super League comes along. And that's just kind of how things are in Texas. And you mentioned Nick Saban. High school coaches love him. There was one coach in the Dallas area who said that he, he hears from Saban more than he hears from Sark. I had a coach tell me that, Ohio State will be around their school if they have a guy, but Alabama is always around their school even if they don't have a guy. And Nick Saban going directly to the Texas High School uh, Football Coaches Association was a real sign of how that works because that is a huge event every year. And part of the reason this, this Texas high school recruiting story we did was different than the other states we did, the, the, the Californias, the, the Ohios, and stuff like that, is because the, the high school coach in Texas – is everything and they, they they feel they are the last bastion of the high school coach where it's not a seven on seven coach it's not a trainer who's the point of contact for colleges because in 2018 they, they the high school coaches came up with something called straight line recruiting which was a message to the college coaches that you have to come through us first not through whatever and one of the Jimbo Fisher one of the first things he did when he got the job was he met with a seven on seven coach and that pissed off a lot of coaches in the state of Texas a lot of them have forgiven him because he did. They say, "Oh, he didn't know, you know, how this works." A lot of them haven't, and so Nick Saban knows how that game works in Texas, and you can be sure that if Texas is in this league, he, they they're going to become. They, they already kind of are, but they're going to start dominating recruiting in the state of Texas. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, it's, this is, it's one of those things where, you, you mentioned it, uh, Nicole, the idea of being a, a big fish in a, a little bit smaller pond. And obviously, everybody, you want if you want to run with the big boys, let's go. And it's... It's not to say that Oklahoma or Texas weren't aren't big boys in themselves. It's that there's only so much space, and there are only so many wins on a schedule, and there's only one champion, conference champion specifically. Like there's only one conference champion, and I wonder how it is received to know that you can go eleven and one. But you will not be the conference champion, and that if that happens every year, how do you feel about that? That's the problem I think, with I think the West. If, I think if you're, in, I think if you're in the playoff, the twelve team playoff, then then you feel okay with it, and that's why I think that that's that's why I'm, I'm Nicole mentioned it earlier. You're going to have you, you might some years have half the playoff field potentially made up of SEC teams, uh, but it's possible they could eat themselves like Felder just said like there's only so many wins to go around not you can't have five 11 and one teams in your conference so there are going to be more losses yeah but 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 for the playoff type teams they'll be able to you know if we start with 18 eight SEC teams in the top 25 and they beat up on each other they don't drop right like this is this is what the SEC is banking on with so many at-large opportunities is the way that we always react to SEC wins and losses, right? Like if 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 a team that's not expected to be good beats somebody, it's about the depth of the league. And it, and now this team's good. Instead of, you know, when we see a loss like Ohio State loses to Purdue or someone, it's like, "Oh man, this is a terrible loss for Ohio State," right? So I think that dynamic is still going to happen and you ha- still have a human selection committee. So teams are going to get the benefit of the doubt. I think you will be able to cuz this is the point I was making earlier. If you're if it's hard to define success, and it's going to be really hard for Texas right out of the gate, it's going to be really hard for the Mississippi schools, let's say, to have a successful season. And people are going to be really, you know, they're going to be upset with coaches faster, all these things, because there are more losses to go around. I, I think with a playoff and at large spots, those top teams should still be okay. As long as we don't get to the point, like, I guess we got there with Oklahoma because they haven't won a game in the playoff, Right. That, oh, it doesn't matter that they made it. They, they're going to get blown out. Or Notre Dame yep. last year, right? They, they made the playoff, and it and you still had Brian Kelly telling fans like not to jump off a cliff 
after they lost, right? Like, so so maybe I'm wrong, but I do, I would theoretically think making the playoff would be enough of a recruiting inducement because the whole thing is right now, the best recruits are going to a couple schools because if they want to play for a national championship, you have to, you have to go to like a pool of six schools. If that widens, but there's still a lot of teams in the SEC, I, I still think you're able to spread that talent. And as you guys mentioned, the talent in Texas in particular. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that we're going to see like this distrib- this redistribution of talent. I don't. I think we're the, the the same people that are good are going to continue to be good. Like the way that I look at it is, everybody is looking to take you know two steps forward, right? Go one, get get you know move one level up, get this. If I could just if you expand the playoff and I have an opportunity, then I can get this. But you're not going to outspend or outmaneuver Nick Saban. You're not going to outspend Ohio State or. Georgia, or in this case, Oklahoma or Texas, you know, like or A and M for that for that matter. So I don't know that there's there's a big redistribution of who's good. I think you're just letting more teams in, and I don't think that saying we got into the playoff is going to have the same effect at twelve as it currently has at four. And I just I'm. And maybe this is me just looking at it from, I'm cynical, but I think that college football has been the same for basically my entire life. And it doesn't matter if you frame it under the bowl alliance or the bowl coalition or the BCS or currently the playoff or the future playoff. It's been pretty much the same. And we've talked about that. Ohio State's been the best team over the course of my life, they're always around because they spend the money and they care about being good. And they started caring about being good way before other teams realized that you have to care to be good, which means you they have this initial investment that you can't go back and get. And so I don't I think what happens is you're, we're going to be like you mentioned, maybe half the field comes from the SEC or from these other massive conferences or whatever we whatever however the chips fall but i think we're still going to see a lot of the same players i don't think we're going to see a ton of upward mobility by inserting the playoff and i think the teams that recruit well are going to keep recruiting well i don't don't, yeah yeah that's that's all go ahead no and and that's one reason the number of conference games is going to be a huge deal that they need to figure out uh seth emerson and i wrote wrote it this week, what you could do with divisions, what you could do with pods. But the SEC has stayed at eight games, and the reason they've stayed at eight games is because your Mississippi State and your Ole Misses want to play those four non-conference games where you can rack up some wins. Their AD had a comment before last season, you know, when the SEC announced that they were going to do ten conference games as their whole schedule, he said, you know, we don't want this long-term because we have a new coach. If we have a young team, we need to take some time to build. And that's why Greg Sankey has always been against 10 games doing it moving forward. That's why they've been against nine. But if you're up to 16 teams, at some point you kind of have to figure this out. But, you know, like you said, you gotta, you gotta find some wins somewhere. And, and SEC has been smart to do that, to, to stay at eight conference games. But at some point it becomes a bit too unwieldy. And that'll be something to watch is how many conference games 
does the 16-team SEC play? Well, and, and the whole point of adding Oklahoma and Texas, like I, I was talking to someone who worked in the SEC for a really long time, and they were saying that this next era of realignment is based on the content, basically the inventory, right? So like the idea of you know Oklahoma and Georgia gymnastics or Texas LSU baseball, like all of these sports, that stuff ultimately matters because – you're, you're talking about content. You're talking about stuff you can put on ESPN Plus and streaming packages and whatever, right? SEC Network, all these places, but especially the streaming. So if you're doing that and you're thinking about it that way, you are going to need these teams to play each other in the regular season. But maybe, maybe you can stay at eight. Maybe you can justify that. But I do think it sort of goes hand in hand with attendance issues, right? Part of the reason we're seeing all these great home and homes get scheduled is because of declining attendance and coming out of a pandemic where there wasn't full attendance, right? And people are like, okay, well, you know, we need to do something that's more enticing than what you can do at home on a Saturday. And no one wants to come when Alabama is playing the Citadel at 11 a.m., right? So we got to play better games. This is sort of that, that sentiment for the regular season and for a locked-in thing. And again, it will happen in other sports too. But is there that push to play more games against each other because of the TV inventory and the fact that, you know, you're, you're and for home games and, and ticket sales. I, I don't know. I mean, I think the SEC has pushed back on those points to date, but at some point, you know, as streaming continues to become the future, aren't you thinking, okay, ESPN Plus package and then an SEC Plus package? Like, aren't you going to try to put – more and more great games behind a paywall like that? ESPN would love nine conference games. That's why the Big Ten and why the Pac-12 did it was because it got them more money to go directly on their network. Um, So I'm sure ESPN would love that for for all the reasons you said. But at the end of the day, you know, Nick Saban's been a guy who says, I want us to play only Power 5 teams and stuff like that. So he's been pushing for it. But it's, it's, again, those lower-tier SEC teams that don't want to because they won't have that upward mobility. And that's kind of the, the conundrum they get stuck in is... They won't have six wins. Right. <laughs> which which goes back to then, do you can you change the bowl situation? Can you get in with a 5-7, and seven, a 4-8 and eight record and try to fix it there? And that's where it comes back to getting the power and determining basically whatever you want to do. Let's, let's pause there. We have plenty of time, plenty of angles to cover in the future here on Power Hour. Um, but before we go, we will do... Our last call segment, um, if you if this is your first time listening, this is how it works. It's basically what you would do at 2 in the morning at the bar. You could either be giddy and want to celebrate something that we either have or haven't celebrated yet, or you can go for a rant, and a lot of this pod was already a rant, so maybe uh, it was an extended last call. But um, I will I will get, Felder, I will give you the floor first for, for your last call. All right, I... Um... It's a little bit of a self-promo thing, but I'm working on a project that comes out in August. And as we've just spent, you know, 40 minutes talking about realignment and what have you, I spent 25 minutes talking to Roddy Jones about just running inside zone. And it was truly a delight. Um, I, I talked to Jordan Reed, uh, who's a quarterback at North Carolina Central and is a, was a quarterback's coach and now does draft analyst work and we talked for 30 minutes about pre-snap reads and so like just 
I just hope folks really like that's the part of football that I like. That's the thing I got into this industry to do. And so there there will be relief. There there's gonna be actual games in the next, you know, what, what, month and a half. There'll be games to talk about. And I just I'm I'm excited that there are people people that want to talk about that sort of stuff. So I'm just my last call is just be on the lookout. New project coming out, and I am super excited about it because we talked about pass protection for thirty five minutes and with an offensive lineman like these. That's my jam. That's my that's my hustle. That's what I do. Uh, so if you don't like me talking about this stuff because I seem like a like a sourpuss, like you you can get to hear me excited. <laughs> I, I want to jump off that real quick because because. I, I almost brought it up earlier, but when you talked about how you're not much of a, a fan guy, and I like I, I love X's and O's and everything. I'm not a former player like you, so I, I don't know it as well, but I, I love that kind of stuff. But what I've loved most about college football is the stuff you love the football. What I love most about college sports is the stuff that's not the football. I want college basketball is bad basketball. Yeah. But I love watching it. I love watching it because of the environments. And that's why watching pandemic basketball really sucked. Like I don't, I don't think any sport more than college basketball was was hurt by not having fans in that. And in college football, to an extent, is similar. Although you have a lot more creative guys doing creative things, and that part is fun. But it's really the pageantry and everything that comes around it that I love about college football. And I think that's why realignment um, frustrates me so much because, and this is my last call, kind of pouring one out for Bedlam. The, the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State rivalry, which is completely one-sided. Oklahoma wins nine out of every ten of these games. But every single year, you're looking forward to that game because the last 15 years, Oklahoma State's been a good program, and you're wondering if this is the one year they can do it. There was a year Tyreek Hill had the punt return that won them the game. And it's like it's those one-sided rivalries where if one team gets the win, you remember that for a generation. And that's the kind of stuff I think we lose with a lot of these realignment and losing these rivalries and it sucks. So I'm going to pour one out for Bedlam whenever the last one happens. And uh, it's a great rivalry name that we're not going to be able to use for a while. My last call is an angle we haven't hit yet. And it is the fact that Oklahoma has made it through the last week with barely any criticism. The shield that is Texas has Born the brunt of everything. And listen, Texas absolutely is a difficult member of a conference. They will now have ruined two conferences, as Chris has pointed out. (laughs) But Oklahoma is doing this too. Oklahoma attended these meetings. Oklahoma is also leaving the Big 12. And they have basically coasted through this. And it's wild to me that Texas has been basically the only one. Because, listen, people in the Big 12 are mad at Texas. They're pissed at Texas. Texas has been wandering eye for a while, right? They've been frustrated for a while. But Oklahoma, is that's who they're disappointed in. Because, of course, Texas would do something like this. But Oklahoma is leaving the Big 12 as well. And I think that that is remarkable. So shout out. This is a... a backhanded compliment here for Oklahoma for avoiding all sorts of responsibility for blowing up the Big 12 with the Texas Shield. And I'll give you an example of that because 
we're finally starting to get to that point in the news cycle. Oklahoma State's president on Monday night put this sentence out as a statement, which is just an elite, elite sentence. It is difficult to understand how an Oklahoma institution of higher education would follow the University of Texas to the detriment of the state of Oklahoma. A phenomenal sentence, first of all. But, but also, this is fair. Everyone should also be applying some scrutiny to Oklahoma. You do not leave a conference and join the SEC entirely passively. Maybe it wasn't your idea. Maybe the first meeting wasn't, but you showed up. But just, again, it's a last call. It's a shout-out and a little bit of a rant, but mostly well, a shout-out for the shield that is Texas. Well, I was going to – listen, I know we're, we're going to get out of here, but, like, do you think we can, we're can? we going to start to see the end of these state unions? Like, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, I always thought, even going back to the old – like, going back to the old uh, realignment days, they have to travel together. And, you know, like – these schools that had to be paired together and they brought each other in, like, is this, that's it? They're, they're, you're just done now? It's all It's all going to be just look out for number one? My, my, uh, our colleague, Jason Kersey, had a good bit about this. And basically, like, there's some people who think the legislate, legislature says they have to do it together. It turns out that's not true. And it was basically because the presidents, the previous presidents of the schools were very close. And David Boren, former senator, former president of Oklahoma, that mattered to him. And now that those new faces are gone, those relationships aren't there, the history isn't there, and you throw it out the window. And that's, again, with the SEC. I, I was on a, a Mississippi radio station yesterday, and someone asked, hey, you know, uh, Ole Miss or whoever, founding member of the SEC, does that tradition matter? And I said, it doesn't matter to Texas. It doesn't matter to Oklahoma. And that's why That's why when it comes down to it, they will have no problem bailing on the SEC for something bigger if it comes because – these things are not being passed down anymore and it's becoming more and more of a business and that's what happens. And, and that's part of the reason A&M's been upset, right? You know, if you have sort of an understanding oh. that you're not going to add another school from your state and then you do it, right? Like a lot of these things, when you think about conference realignment are gentlemen's agreements or just like you were saying, Chris, things that have been passed down about how you do things. And those things are out the window now. We didn't even talk enough about A&M because they are livid. Livid. <laughs> yes. Yep. Texas high school coaches told us that A&M playing in the SEC made a big difference for a lot of kids. And now they're not going to have that recruiting advantage anymore in the state of Texas. Well, the good thing is we will force them to play Texas again, which is something that a lot of people have actually wanted That's to come back. That's a good thing. That That's was one good, good I, I thing. I hate this realignment, but I'd like seeing that happen again. That's a rivalry we should get back, and I'm thankful for that. All right, and we'll, we'll wrap there. Um, thanks for listening to the conference realignment issue uh, special of Power Hour. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you can sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for 40% off. Andy Staples, Ari Wasserman will be back to their usual antics later this week. We will be back next Tuesday for the next episode of Power Hour. For Chris Vanini, Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.